Happy September, Shay. Oh my gosh, it's already September. Yes, it Mm. is. And today is actually the start of the school year here in Seattle. But many listeners may have already started last month or are still waiting to get started. Or are in the Southern Hemisphere, so they're halfway through their school year. Right. But to welcome our new school year, we're kicking off with a fall donation drive. Mm, Podcasting and supporting teachers is a labor of love. But it's also, you know, labor. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of work. (laughs) So if you can spare a little change this season, listeners, we hope you'll support us with a one-time donation through our Buy Me a Coffee page at buymeacoffee.com slash thinkaloudpod. Buymeacoffee.com slash thinkaloudpod. You can also check out our other supporter options at teacherthinkaloud.com slash support dash us. Their swag. Swag! <laughs> Their swag, episode-related resources, and options for ongoing support. TeacherThinkAloud.com slash support dash us. All contributions, no matter how much, mean the world to us, truly. They do. So enough begging for money mm. now. <laughs> yeah. uh, today, listeners, <laughs> we're going a different route than usual. We'll be talking you through our top 10 Favorite TED Talks for teaching. It's so hard to choose just 10. Mm-hmm. Hello, and welcome to the Teacher Think Aloud podcast, a podcast for reflective practice for teachers of English around the world. I'm your co-host, Shay. And I'm Anna. Okay, okay. So I think, you know... I'm pretty sure that most English language educators may know what a TED Talk is Mm, mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like we talk about using them for teaching all the time. They're just amazing instances of curated but authentic material, right? Mm -hmm. Fascinating topics and inspiring stories across a broad spectrum of disciplines delivered in digestible, delectable talks at Mm. TED conferences around the world. (laughs) Technology, education, design. Yep. That's what TED stands for. And they're not paying us for this <laughs> this plug no, right now. <laughs> it kind of sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, free advertising. Well, anyway, today, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to us just ranting and raving about our favorite TED Talks, we're also going to talk about how we've used them successfully in our language classrooms. Yeah. And so as we were putting together our list, we realized that we have, yeah, it turns out that six of the 10 were on both of our lists. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm actually really interested in hearing from our listeners on this to know whether they have favorite TED Talks that align with our favorites or mm-hmm. what we've never heard about. Yeah, so I think the first one, and it's one that we've actually talked about before on other episodes, it's from Chiamanda Negozia Dici's the danger of a single story. Mm-hmm. And this one falls into our first category of the day, intercultural communication and identity. Yes. So let's hear what we said about this in episode 14 on the topic of representation in the classroom. Uh, listeners, drop everything and go listen to this talk if you haven't yet. <laughs> yes. Watch it and then come back to us. It's mm-hmm. in our resource list. So one of the points Jumamanda makes is that people need to see themselves represented in the literature they're reading. Mm-hmm. She speaks from experience as an aspiring writer growing up in Nigeria, constantly reading Eurocentric narratives that she couldn't identify with. She mentions reading about foliage and apple picking in the fall, but 
but it didn't resonate with her experience. She didn't grow up frolicking through fallen leaves or (laughs) eating apples. And from this lack of connection, it was difficult for her to imagine that her story could hold weight, that people would want to read her stories. So that's exactly what we want to avoid with our learners, right? Totally. Making them feel like their stories, experiences, ways of seeing the world are not valuable. And through the incorporation of relevant materials or content that connects to our students' experiences, we decrease the odds that they'll come away from our classrooms. So, you know, at the risk of repeating ourselves, I mean, this talk is just a really great way of addressing issues of representation. Yeah, yeah. And she speaks not only in this TED Talk, but in all of her writing. Chimamanda really speaks well to this idea of transnational identity and just the different identities that one person can inhabit, that multiplicity of identity. So in this particular TED Talk, she's talking about, you know, the issues of being stereotyped, Mm -hmm. of being assumed to be a certain way. Many students can really connect with that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the way that she uses storytelling is just incredible. It's Not the shortest TED Talk, Mm -mm. but it goes by so fast because her storytelling is just so beautiful. And we can use that if we're working on writing with students, how to write stories. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. She's a great model for teaching storytelling. You could analyze how she ties her stories together to create meaning. Mm -hmm. Like, does she use chronological order, order of importance? What did she use as the hook for her story? Mm-hmm. This talk really provides fertile ground for analysis of storytelling strategy, I think. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a TED Talk that just about anyone can connect to, right? Yeah. It opens the door for what can be challenging conversations, you know, about racism, identity, stereotyping. So I love, I, I love that you said the word, um, this expression, opens the door Mm. because I was just going to say entry point, right? The the same exact concept. Mm -hmm. Another one that also really taps into that multiplicity of identity you mentioned is Taya Selassie's talk, Don't Ask Where I'm From, Ask Where I'm a Local. Mm -hmm. Good one. Taya Selassie essentially points out that this question, where are you from? Right? We use it so often to start a conversation, but it might be alienating for some It Mm -hmm. cuts out a part of their identity, and the question, where are you a local, can better invoke their sense of belonging, their humanity, rather than an abstract nation that they come from. Right, and this is one that I connect to so deeply personally, not just because, Mm. you know, it's a great way for students to see how complex their identities can be, but this question of where are you from, Mm -hmm. like, I never know how to answer that question. When I say I'm from such and such place, someone attaches an image of me to that place, which Mm -hmm. may or may not represent who I am fully. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a lot of students are able to connect with that, especially ones that come from, you know, more of an immigrant background or at least that have moved around or have a mixed heritage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've been in the same place your whole life, where are you from might have a clear-cut answer. Mm -hmm. It might not, though. Right. And the question of where are you a local doesn't exclude anyone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helpful to consider that others may not feel, you know, represented in where are you from. It may not pull in all of the nuance of who we are as people. Now, this one is also a bit longer, like Chimamanda's, about 16 minutes. But, you know, when you have longer TED Talks, you can always pick out, you know, the the snippets that you want to share with your students. Right. You can very easily splice a TED Talk 
There are a bunch of ways to do that, but I like TED-Ed.com for this, actually. You can really easily take TED Talks or any video on YouTube and pinpoint the areas that you think your students would be best served by. So don't be afraid. You know that we're bringing up 15 and 20 minute long talks here on this episode. <laughs> I will add that TED-Ed.com also lets you add in questions at different points in a video for comprehension or reflection and share those lessons with other educators on the site. You can build in opportunities for extension right there along with the splicing. And you can mm. make your TED Talk really accessible in this way. Cool. And I didn't realize you could do all of that on TED Ed. Mm -hmm. I'll have to make use of it more. Speaking of cool features, Shay, mm -hmm. TED makes it really easy to find what you're looking for. Uh, one of the features that I love is the way that their transcript is so interactive. Oh, yeah. There's an option right on the web page, like, view transcript and then as the video goes along it highlights chunks of words as they're being said and you can click directly in the transcript to navigate to a section of the video with the language you're interested yeah. in. Using the transcripts as a tool to support listening to these talks is really effective. Mm -hmm. Whether you're having students listen for specific vocabulary or grammar forms or you want them to differentiate between main ideas and details. Mm -hmm. And we have different dialects and accents of English that are present in TED Talks. And that's what I love about them because it represents truly what English speakers sound like. Generally speaking, you want your students to get more exposure to people who sound different than their English teacher. In that same vein, you know, this use of transcripts in English is obviously, you know, it's ideal. But you can also get the transcripts in like a million other languages. <laughs> <laughs> well, not like a million. I'm exaggerating. Yeah. But close enough. Yeah. So we're definitely not against having our students use their home languages to support their language acquisition in English as needed, you know? Mm-hmm. And then pull out some of the English language so that they have the vocabulary to then discuss the content in English. Mm -hmm. I remember making copies of transcripts back in the day and, and having students annotate Paper. as they're listening. We have right, imagine. Yeah. I would I would have them highlight words, you know, write question marks, draw stars. So let us not forget that although we live in a digital world, there is power sometimes in printing a piece of paper. Absolutely. Scribbling on a piece of paper is honestly supported by research as a great way to support learning and memory and just processing, right? <laughs> Lots to say about transcripts. So much to say. <laughs> But now uh, I, I want to move us along to another TED Talk. Great. Uh, we've only made it through what two. Yeah. Uh, so Slow going. this is <laughs> this is maybe a little more for us people interested in language and linguistics. Mm -hmm. How language shapes the way we think by Lara Boroditsky. Mm -hmm. This talk discusses basically the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, which if you're a linguistics nerd or if you've seen the movie Arrival, mm -hmm. you may know about it. Mm -hmm. But in this TED Talk, she makes the assumption that there's some relationship between language and thought, which I think, you know, she acknowledges there's a lot of debate about. Mm -hmm. But she brings up some really interesting evidence about how language and thought are intertwined. And so for me, this may be challenging for students who may not be language nerds like us. Mm -hmm. We're just interested in learning language for its utilitarian purposes rather than the pleasure of learning the language. Mm -hmm. But you might spin this uh, in this direction of having them think about how their language differs from English and how that might change their thought patterns. Mm. It's definitely a more challenging talk. It's a bit heady, mm -hmm. I think. But mm -hmm. what I really appreciate about this talk is 
this idea of how we communicate our thoughts. I am of the belief that, you know, your native language and your home culture are influencing everything that you think and how you're perceiving Mm -hmm. the world around you. And so I can't personally view language and culture as separate entities. I think that they're just intertwined and inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. So understanding one's cultural background and their values can help you get a better sense of the things that they're going to be able to comfortably talk about, the things that they're going to prioritize talking about in any language, and also the language that they have available to them because of the cultural values that exist and govern how they see the world and thus how they talk about it. So this is the perfect segue. Mm, uh, Lara Borodisky's talk is basically the difficult version of this other talk that I've mentioned to you before, Shay, mm. which is only two and a half minutes. Woo! Much more accessible, <laughs> much more exciting. You can watch <laughs> it multiple times in one session. What a luxury, right? Exactly. It's class-sized. So this two and a half minute TED talk, it's called Weird or Just Different by Derek Sievers or Sievers or however it's pronounced. (laughs) Sorry, Um, guy. (laughs) Sorry, dude. Um, I've used this talk so many times because it's short and because just the way that the question is stated, Mm. it's based in like a, a nuanced understanding of language. And then also the examples are exactly this idea that you're talking about, which is that culture informs the way that we see the world, the way that we think the world should work, what we think is normal. Mm. And so essentially he's making the point that you know, you look at the way that someone else in a different culture does something and you're like, well, that's weird. Mm. But weird has this sort of layer of judgment, yeah. whereas the word different has a lot less judgment in general. And so mm-hmm. he just points out that this is a different way of thinking. You know, the way that people in Japan organize the numbers on their homes for someone from the States, it feels very weird, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but it's just different because it comes from a different very foundational way of thinking in that culture yeah i haven't watched this one but i really love the concept it's not even a question of like intercultural relations and exchanges it's just recognizing that everyone sees the world differently and there's so much beauty in that Mm -hmm. how can we use language more acceptingly how do we approach difference in a kinder way? Yeah, a non-judgmental way. Yeah. And so there was, you know, I mentioned this idea of like, it's just one way to see the world, right? Everyone has these different perceptions. And that reminds me of the next TED Talk I want to share. This is, Anna, I don't know if I've told you to watch this talk before. Mm. On Being Wrong by Catherine Schulz. Mm. If I had to choose like an all-time favorite TED Talk, it would probably be between this one and the danger of a single story. Wow, that's a a high bar. (laughs) Yeah. So it's all about how we all have our own windows from which we see the world. Mm. And those are all really different vantage points, right? And Mm. so that's part of one of the ideas that Catherine presents in her talk. I've shared this with a lot of friends and relatives, and some people have even sort of shut me out because Uh-oh. of it and, and and it speaks to the issue that no one likes to be wrong right mm. as teachers we're constantly saying to students like it's good to be wrong mm. it's good to make mistakes that's how you learn but we know on a personal level it doesn't feel good to be wrong uh-uh. it makes us 
you know, maybe question our identity, right? Even drastic things like that. And Mm -hmm. that's why it's under this category of identity. Yeah. I mean, when someone points out we're wrong, we feel personally attacked, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, Catherine in her talk examines the fact that being wrong doesn't actually feel like anything but feeling right. Mm. You feel like you're right when you're wrong, right? But it's only when we're made aware that we're actually wrong that we feel this way that you mentioned uncomfortable or attacked. Mm. And so she demonstrates this with the image of the the roadrunner and who is it that chases the roadrunner? I can't uh, remember. Uh, yeah, Wiley Coyote. Mm, okay, uh-huh. so like the roadrunner is smarter than Wiley, right? So Wiley <laughs> ends up running off a cliff, chasing the roadrunner, <laughs> and he looks fine and dandy initially, until he realizes that he's just run off a cliff, right? <laughs> so she uses that as a metaphor to talk about the difference between being wrong and not knowing it and how mm. it's kind of just like this blissful state because you mm. think you're right. Until that moment that you look down and you realize that you're wrong and you just kind of fall off of the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, uh, I, I just love that image. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And I love this talk because I think that we're, We're taught so much, at least in our culture, you know, you don't want to be wrong. There's Mm -hmm. this sort of shame attached to not being right about something. And so I thought, like, what if I just reframed how I think about wrongness and share this with everyone I know and love? Mm -hmm. Actually, the first time I heard her talk, I paused it halfway through and went ahead and bought her book, Catherine Schull's book called Being Wrong. Nice. I I definitely should read that book because being wrong is very difficult for me. (laughs) We'll link it for you listeners. Anna, you're not alone in that. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, I feel like that's the perfect transition once again, because that book sort of, I know, (laughs) that book sort of straddles this other category that we've got here, which is recipes for success. And I think Really, a lot of this is just personal success in general, Mm -hmm. in your relationships, and in your goals, right? Yeah. And so the first one we listed here is 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation by Celeste Headley. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad it was also on your personal list. Yeah, I love this talk. It's Mm -hmm. so clear. And she... She's just, uh, Celeste Headley's such a good speaker. Mm -hmm. It's kind of shorter and she gets a lot across, 10 things across in just 11 minutes, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we're not going to do in this episode because we are not concise. It's a long (laughs) one. Thanks for hanging with us today. (laughs) So the 10 ways to have a better conversation, not all of them are what you expect. Yeah. This talk is just a really wonderful tool for reflection because, well, there are 10 tangible takeaways and it's really easy to create reflection questions around each of those takeaways. And so, you know, being a good conversationalist, it's not just helpful for the classroom. Right? Mm. So what I've always appreciated about this talk is that students can make this really clear connection to life outside of the classroom, mm-hmm. which allows them to see that we give them tools that go beyond learning and that link to personal tools. Mm-hmm, totally. And then, you know, me being me, coming back to like the, the language learning aspect of this, mm-hmm. beyond the fact that it's a great tool for reflection and for getting students to become better humans, which is all part of our mission as well, mm-hmm. 
Uh, but this one, because it's so concise and it really has such a clear structure, it's good for somewhat lower level students. Mm -hmm. They can really latch on and learn some of the language being used for each point. They don't need to understand all of it to get it. Mm -hmm. Like one of the first points is don't pontificate. <laughs> yeah, such a great word. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a good way to come up with synonyms, right? Mm, yeah, but also because it's such a simple structure, this talk, it would be very easy to teach the basic skill of summarizing. Mm -hmm. It's got first, second, third. It's, you know, it's got all of those transition mm -hmm. words. So it would be very easy, a very easy way to teach summary. Right. And going back to conversational norms, mm -hmm. maybe these suggestions wouldn't work in another culture, you know. So there's also room for that kind of exploration and consideration of whether what she's saying actually does apply everywhere. Yeah. And lots of discussion could open it up. Perhaps have students imagine if someone were entering their culture, what conversation norms would they recommend? Yeah. So like, let's make this, um, I don't know, a, a South Korea specific list of norms. Mm -hmm. And actually, that makes me think of one of the recommendations that we have for using TED, which is also having students give their own TED talk. Nice. I mm -hmm. think that, yeah, I think that students would have a lot of fun with the format because you can sort of study speech writing, public speaking, how to use visual supports. Mm -hmm. And you can also get students to observe body language that they see on the TED stage. Yeah. What does one's body language say about their confidence, their comfort level with the subject matter? Why is it important to present yourself a certain way on a stage to sell your point? Good one. There's just so much you could talk about in looking at how TED Talks become good. So, yeah. So giving their own mini TED Talks, that's a great extension opportunity. Mm -hmm. I would love to give a TED Talk. That's mm -hmm. like a you goal should. for my life. Yeah. <laughs> you should. Our listeners are like, no, neither of you should <laughs> get out of here. So anyway. So speaking of goals, though, our next TED Talk works really well in cultivating a growth mindset and working on goal setting with our students. Grit, the power of passion and perseverance with Angela Lee Duckworth. Oh, man, that's such a good one. Uh, mm -hmm. So Angela, in this TED Talk, she kind of starts from a point of research has shown that it's not really the smartest kids who end up being successful necessarily. It's the ones who persist, the gritty mm. ones. And so just by shifting their mindset to think that their skills can change and evolve and get better that is really the key to their mm, success. Mm -hmm. And so this one focuses literally on students. So students, they can really connect with this because it's talking about student success in the research. So this would be a really great one at the beginning of the term. It's just six minutes long, so it's one of the shorter ones. And teachers can have students set goals with this growth mm -hmm. mindset, right? It's motivational. And I feel like I have to bring up Carol Dweck's book, <laughs> Mindset, even though I just mentioned it in yeah. our last episode. So a fixed mindset is when we think our skills are what they are. You know, I've always told myself that I'm bad at math because historically, well, I have been bad at math. No, well, me too. But, <laughs> but, but you know, not to despair, right? If you actually want to commit and become better at math, Anna, you can because it's about your mindset and your willingness to pursue hard things. 
Yeah, I don't know if I want to pursue math as the hard thing I want to do, but <laughs> anyway, so this this talk is really helpful because students need to know that they don't necessarily have to be the smartest one in the room to be successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another one in that same vein of goal setting and having a growth mindset is this one by Matt Cutts. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've shared this one be- before with you, Shay. It's mm-hmm. three minutes long, so it's very easy and digestible. It's okay. called try something new for 30 days. Matt describes how he tried taking a picture every day for a month or biking to work every day for 30 days. And his point is anything is possible for 30 days. So if we just set our mind to it and say, I'm going to do this for 30 days, there's a high chance that we'll be able to achieve it as long as we set a reasonable goal. Mm -hmm. And he also discusses the fact that it really only takes 30 days to create a new habit. And Mm -hmm. so he's been able to get a lot of new hobbies and habits that are just good for him by starting with the 30-day thing. And then it becomes something that he integrates into his routine moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And Mm -hmm. I I like this because, you know, I love, you know, having students set goal for themselves at the beginning of a semester. This is is a really good one for them to start thinking about specific small things like English goals or broader personal or professional goals. Mm. And you can also teach some language like, I will do this for 30 days you can scaffold Mm -hmm. with some sentence stems or use it to practice that kind of modal verb you could even do like conditionals like if i tried something for 30 days i would you know lots of grammar possibilities Mm -hmm. yeah so the next one is sort of on the other side of that coin Mm. (laughs) inside the mind of a master (laughs) procrastinator by tim (laughs) urban love this one yeah both you and i put this as one of our top 10 ted talks and honestly it surprised me i didn't know that this was one of your favorites too yeah yeah you know actually this is one of my favorites because i had read the article on tim urban's blog wait Mm. but why on this same topic And in blog form, he uses some of the same graphics and the same Mm. kind of stick figure, really goofy representations of how procrastinators think. So when I saw the TED Talk, I was equally as drawn in. Mm, I'll have to check out the article, too. I personally was drawn to this talk by the title because I (laughs) think of myself as a master procrastinator. And I think maybe you as my partner here can confirm. (laughs) (laughs) Only sometimes. Sometimes. We, We get it done. But I think that a lot of people feel moved by procrastination. And so ultimately, Tim talks about two different kinds of deadlines, right? Things Mm -hmm. that you want to do that have deadlines, set deadlines, and then things that you want to do that are sort of open-ended that you'll maybe eventually get to. And Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of things in my life in particular that I say like, yeah, yeah, this is on my list. I'm going to get to it. And Mm. these tasks that don't have a hard deadline, those are the ones that we put off. And Mm -hmm. often those are the ones that make us feel unfulfilled in life. Yeah. But even though that sounds super depressing, this talk is hilarious because he shows you these great graphics of stick figures and everything. It's fantastic because we all identify with procrastination in some way shape or form and it's also more graphic heavy than most TED talks which can help in scaffolding for lower levels yeah so even though this is a longer one 14 minutes I think Mm -hmm. that you know it is a bit lighter it does create you know that accessibility that doesn't exist in a lot of other TED talks Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel so so stuffy 
Right. Just right. note that the humor does require, though, some instructional support. Mm-hmm. Unpack the sarcasm here and there. Because in the beginning, he's like, okay, I'm going to show you some real scans of human brains. And then it's like a drawing he made <laughs> with a stick figure of a guy driving a brain and a monkey distracting him. Yeah. So really I mean, research-based. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's helpful to preview the talk, maybe mm-hmm. by looking at some of those graphics already, highlighting some of the specific expressions in the transcript. In the you transcript. Know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And through this TED Talk, we can get students to think about their own habits and whether they are procrastinators too. We, Mm. as their instructors, can glean a lot of important information about their tendencies Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, it's definitely a good tool for reflection. Yeah. So let's move on to our next one, the final TED Talk on our list. All right. Congrats, (laughs) listener. You've made it to the end. (laughs) So... The talk is Every Kid Needs a Champion by Rita Pearson. Mm. It's exactly what the title tells us, but Rita is just like this really engaging personality. Mm -hmm. Her career as a teacher spanned 40 years in a variety of educational settings. And in the talk, she just touches upon, you know, the importance of teaching kids, not teaching material. And the fact that teachers can have such an immense impact just by showing up and doing their jobs and, you know, how we don't know what it is that all of our kids are bringing with them to the classroom. Mm -hmm. We don't know what their resources are like. And so it just touches upon the importance of, of nurturing as educators, you know, we have this possibility to to just nurture a bit more. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is a good one just for teachers to watch, maybe less for students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, they'd be like, why are you showing me this? But I think it's just an edifying kind of talk for educators to see and consider how we implement these concepts into our classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. We need to continue to motivate ourselves. So... That's all, all, folks. Our top 10 TED Talks for teaching. Also known as TT, TTT. <laughs> nope, not known no. as that. But, you know, we <laughs> by us, by us. Um, so we'd love to know what other talks you love. What are your go-to TED Talks for class? And how have you used them to facilitate reflection and learning? You can join the conversation on our various social media accounts. Email us via our contact form at teacherthinkaloud.com or comment via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. We welcome your reflections, questions, and ideas. And please consider donating to the cause, contributing to our donation drive. Teacherthinkaloud.com slash support dash us. Thanks so much for joining us on the Teacher Think Aloud podcast. And until next time, happy teaching and happy reflecting.